Welcome to STR Unfiltered, where we give you actionable episodes without the bullshit. Here is your host, Bill Faith. Hey, you guys, you know how much I love Stay Fine, how important that is into my entire marketing funnel. But look, they have just released a thing called Homepage, which is absolutely taking it to the next level. Now, when somebody logs into your Wi-Fi via your StayFi landing page, it takes them to this homepage where you can integrate with the Hostco shop for upsells. You can integrate with Viator for literally local attractions to take care of your guests, your guidebook links, direct link to your website, and your book again button. Completely simplified. Look, StayFi has taken this whole marketing thing to the next level. You need to check them out. They are a seriously integral part of my marketing funnel, and it should be for yours as well. Look, to lock in your StayFi discount and start cultivating your engaged guest list, go to StayFi.com slash bill. That's StayFi.com slash bill. Yep, that's my name. And watch your booking soar. Hey, welcome back to SDR Unfiltered. I'm Bill Faith, the founder of Build Short-Term Rental Wealth, founder of 31 additional startups, the SDR Wealth Conference, co-founder of SDR VAs with Kenny Bedwell, market my SDR with my partner, Scott Hill. And I keep a vacation rentals. That's my own own portfolio and my co-hosting business. And I've had a great partner for the last 26 years. My wife, Rhea Faith, who's my designer and uh, back office bookkeeper. My babysitter, too. Um, I've never really done an intro like that before. But I think it's really important to set the tone with the 31 startups that I've done. And I want you to understand the first ones that I did, I wasn't as good as I am today. It's taken me a lot of experience, a lot of lost money, a lot of lost time, a lot of mistakes uh, that I've made going into uh, to get to where I'm at today. And I think that's really important for those of you that are just starting to embark onto this real estate investment journey, or if you've been in this for a while, right? Maybe you've been in it. A lot of people wear you know, a badge of honor. I've been doing this for 10 years. I've been doing this since before you were born. I've been doing this for 25 years. That doesn't make you good. That doesn't make you great. Just because you've done something for a long time does not mean you're good at it. So clean the earwax out of your ears, wipe your eyes a little bit, take a deep breath and understand that somebody could do something for a year. You could be doing it for 20 years and they can do it better than you. Time doesn't make somebody good at something unless they're practicing the right way, unless they're learning, unless they have a great coach, you know, those types of things. So I kind of just want to set the table for today's, you know, cast about this is about business, folks. There's too many of you that are looking at this as kind of a side hustle, a hobby, you know, whatever it is. We're talking about big money here. We're talking about big money that you're investing when you purchase a property, you know, most of us are making investments relevant to what our income level is, our net worth is, hopefully relevant to how much we have in, in savings, however that looks for you. The one thing I don't want you to do is rob the future, you know, take clear out your 401k, clear out your SAP, any of those types of things, pay the penalties on them, and then make a mistake in your first or second investment. Because those first two are so pivotal. Those of you that are out there that have larger portfolios, uh, you know, understand that those first two are so hard. Most of you make or break the future of investing based on that first or second investment. For me, I literally did it, made a great first investment, got lucky, didn't know anything 
about it was migrating out of LTR into STR. My, my wife wanted a beach house. And I got to the beach house. We saw like 10 properties in the first day. And luckily we went into the right market. Uh, we went into a really good market. And a friend that advised me, a very dear friend who was very experienced in property management and real estate investing and that type of stuff, not to go into, we wanted to invest into 30A. We were actually having uh, lunch with him at uh, the pizza place there in Seaside. And my wife's like, hey, I, I want a beach house. We were there on fall break. I think it was 2015. And Wee Wee, his name is William Wilson. He owns Frangista uh, Beach Rentals, Property Management, Real Estate Agency. For those of you old schoolers in Destin or Miramar, uh, the Frangista Beach Inn and Restaurant, that was his and his family's. And we were the last guests there in uh, 1999 when it turned over to 2000. Uh, me and four friends, uh, four three other couples, uh, spent uh, the millennium New Year's Eve there, and then he tore it down and built a, like a billion dollars worth of houses and townhomes and condos. What a great investment. But it was William that gave me the sage advice to not invest into the 30A area. I wish I would have based on appreciation today, but we couldn't afford it. We had $126,000. And I know I'm telling you a story here. We're going to get to the four things that every successful uh, real estate investor needs to have in short-term rentals. And so we decided to go to Gulf Shores. And so we flew about a month later to Gulf Shores. We saw 10 properties. We ended up buying the very first one that we saw, uh, tier two in Fort Morgan, actually Morgantown, uh, which is a subdivision inside of uh, Fort Morgan, Alabama. And you've seen the case study where it was doing like 40, $44,000 a year in gross revenue. We turned it into 98,000, then 112, leveraged that to grow our entire portfolio with $126,000 investment. That's the 550 program. We've just done it multiple times. If you don't know what the 550 program is, then just go down into the show notes. Hopefully there's a link down there because the only way you can learn that really is in the inner circle. I've got a free training for you on how to do that actually. But one of the things is, is that we learned about market selection through that process. That's the first thing. That's one, the number one of the four skills that are learned and that, that we must know to be successful in this industry is market selection. And the reason that William advised me to not try to invest into even Miramar at that time or 30A or anywhere in Rosemary Beach was because we didn't have enough capital to deploy. We had 125, 126, maybe it was 120, I don't know, 120 to $125,000 that we'd saved that we wanted to invest. And my wife had some parameters that had to be met. She wanted to hear the ocean. She wanted to see it and she wanted to smell it. Now it's harder to smell uh, the salt in the ocean and everything in the panhandle than it is where we grew up in California. Uh, it's just a much more distinct smell. So you could I could have been farther away in California, but you know, investing there, we we're going to have to be super close. We ended up buying a tier two property. She could see it from the back deck, really off the master suite, really see it from the top. Uh, she could hear it. We could hear the waves crashing. No question. It was pretty quiet, pretty secluded. And uh, she could definitely smell it as well. So she got all three. And what ended up being super important for us is the market that we ended up investing into. We didn't even go to Gulf Shores. We ended up going uh, to another sub market. So when you hear me talk about market selection, I'm going to unpack this a little bit for you. It was really about going deep into Fort Morgan and not even investing like into the heart of Gulf Shores, which is West Beach. If you're familiar with Gulf Shores, you've got West Beach and you've got East Beach. Then, you know, past East Beach, heading east towards the Florida line, you've got Orange Beach. Heading west towards Dauphin Island out on the peninsula, you've got Fort Morgan. 
So you really, everybody thinks about Gulf Shores as Gulf Shores, but you really got Orange Beach, East Beach, West Beach, and then you've got Fort Morgan. You've got four sub-markets within the Gulf Shores market. So it's like when people talk about the Smokies. Uh, hey, I'm going to invest in the Smokies. No, you're not. That's not even really a market. It's a, it's a region. It's a geographic area. It's too big. It's not a market. It's really a region, right? So you've got Pigeon Forge. You've got Gatlinburg. You've got Sevierville. You know, you can almost classify like going out to Douglas Lake as part of the Smokies at this point. But, you know, really those three places are the primary sub-markets. So that's the first thing that you have to do is take a market that you want to invest into. And I go through the same thing with Branson, Missouri, you know, Western North Carolina, the Asheville area, the whole Boone, Beach Mountain, Banner Elk area, you know, Orlando, you name it. The approach is the same. We got to take a market and then break it down into the sub-markets. Because performance and even bedroom counts are going to perform differently inside of these sub-markets, right? And then that's when we really start diving into the research. And you should be able to figure that part out relatively quickly by having conversations with people like myself or people that own there, and they should be able to let you know. You can find that out on SCR Insights and AirDNA as well. But I don't kind of get those involved until I get into you know, step number two. Because I really want to in invest into a market and actually that I like, I want to make sure that that I have an interest in the market. If I don't have an interest in the market, then I'm personally not going to invest there. I, I'm not telling you not to, but I'm not going to because I'm not going to put my full effort of number three, you know, into it if I'm not really interested in that market. So that's a, that's a, a go or no go for me, right? And as an example, Pot Springs has been a very investable market very close to buying a motel there two years ago before it even shut down. Now it's limited to, I think, just under 486 or something like that, just under 500 permits. We didn't end up making the investment because the owner drug his foot on this apartment complex we're going to purchase and turn into a boutique motel. But one of the problems is for me, like I would never buy a single family home there or do an investment on my own. This was through my capital group, Riven Capital Group, that I'm partners with uh, John and Trippin. And I'm just not interested in that market personally. So hard for me to get vested, to get all in. And as we dive into number three and four, we really need to be that if we want to excel. I think that's one thing that's, you know, gives me a little bit of a competitive advantage. I only invest into markets, sub markets and properties that I love, that I like. And that's going to really help me as we dive into number three and number four skills. Whereas I'm strictly making a financially driven decision and invest into a market just to make money that I'm not interested in, then I don't think I'm going to be able to execute um, on those last two as well. So we've talked about going from market selection down to sub-market. Then it really falls into bedroom counts, right? And once you get into bedroom counts, usually most of these sub-markets are going to perform at a different level from say a one or a two bedroom era five to six or seven bedrooms, right? So I look at Orlando. I was on a coaching call earlier this morning with one of my inner circle members and they've got a nine bedroom in Davenport, which is a submarket of Disney of Orlando. And, you know, it's not performing well. So, but they have a tremendous amount of equity in this property and the decision has to be made or they, they're wanting to make, you know, a, a larger sum of an investment dollar wise and time commitment wise to bring it up to be able to compete right on the bedroom count of nine bedrooms because there's so many properties that they're competing against on the seven and eight bedroom side on the low end and the off peak uh, season could be totally off season, could be the, the shoulder season. But then what they want to ascend to are these Mac daddy themed out properties that are in the 10, 11, 12 bedroom range, right? 
So we're looking at a delta of like seven bedrooms up to 12 when you're in that nine space. And that's what you got to use Avery Carl's enemy method really to go in and do that type of deep research. So that's where the, the research comes in when you're, you select your market, select your submarket. Now we're looking at the properties that we're going to look at to acquire. And we really need to understand what we're going to have to implement to be able to compete. Well, their property right now is not competing very well. They're, they're underperforming based on their projections when they acquired because they don't have the level of theming that they need. So the question now becomes, do I want to put in 75 to 100 grand to be able to compete? Or do I want to hold on to that cash, exit this property, access my 250 to $300,000 and redeploy someplace else? I don't want you to end up having to be in that second position. So that's why we really have to evaluate market, submarket, bedroom count. Once we've done that, then we can start moving on to number two. And that's underwriting. It's not just using like an online calculator. It's not just saying, okay, this place should do 150K a year in rental income. And I think it's probably going to be, you know, maybe about, you know, $5,000, $6,000 a month, uh, you know, in carry costs, you know, to cover insurance and utilities, maintenance, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's not good enough. One of the things that becomes really important, and I think you see the prudent investors truly underwriting properties very similar to what a bank would do. And they, and I advise that you use a good, better, best formula. Good, better, best formula. So one of the ways that, that I do it is I look at my historicals. I know how I perform against AirDNA's percentiles, you know, 50th, 75th, 90th percentiles on a historical level. So I typically can apply that when I average all of those out throughout my portfolio, I can apply that to my future investment. And that helps me build out the good, better, best scenario. And one thing that I think is super important is that you are always going off of the better or the good. You're never going off of the best. I know we all want to ascend to the best scenario. And a lot of us will go in and, and use that inside of our performa, but we really need to be prudent here. So one of the things that I look at when I'm underwriting is I always underestimate my gross revenue by 10%, 10%. And a lot of people say, well, wow, why would you do that? Well, because I'm always going to overestimate my expenses by 10%. I learned my lesson when I bought my Banner Elk property a couple of years ago. And I did not factor in snow removal. I didn't even think, I, mean, I get I'm in the mountains, but I didn't even really think about think about it because I was in North Carolina. Would have been right in the forefront if I'm going into Island Park or Aspen Vale, Colorado, Rocky Mountains, whatever. But for whatever reason, I just didn't think about it. And that's okay. That's cool. But you know what it did? It was like $3,100 in the first year. I've got a super long driveway. It's steep. It's big. You know, it's a two-acre property, sleeps 16 people, you know, six bedrooms, bunk room, three-car garage, game room. You know, it's just, it's big. So it's expensive for me to get the, you know, the snow removed. So as I'm through the underwriting process, I'm lowering expected gross revenue by 10%, but I'm also increasing expenses by 10% as well. So that way I can be safe. So if I make a mistake like that, I'm still going to be in really good shape and it's not going to handcuff me. Uh, and that's something that's really important. So the underwriting process is designed to mitigate your risk. It is designed to mitigate your risk. And so that's why I want to be very conservative in my numbers when I'm underwriting. But a lot of you don't take enough time, right? And you're not using the right performa. So John Hodge, John the Bank Whisperer Hodge, who's on my super team, 
Um, I call him the bank whisperer because John is the one that's created, you know, the, there's a lot of, he's created how to approach a bank, how to negotiate with a bank, understanding everything's negotiable. You don't just have to take what they hand you. You can negotiate points, interest rate. As long as you're in a good enough position financially from a bankability standpoint and a DTI standpoint and a cash standpoint, then you have some leverage. And that, a lot of that leverage is, is how you prepare in your underwriting. So underwriting isn't just building out a performa. Underwriting is becoming bankable too, right? So you have to know the package to put together. You have to know what the bank is going to request from you, what they're going to want before you go in and you actually say, hey, my name's Bill. I'm looking to buy an Airbnb. Can you help me? That's like the worst thing that you can do going into a bank. You walk into a bank, you say, hey, my name's Bill Faith. I'm looking to open an account and uh, actually like to speak to somebody about commercial real estate loans. Perfect. Let me get Bob for you. Hey, Bob, my name's Bill Faith. I'm looking for a commercial real estate loan. Interested in opening up an account, parking some cash uh, so we can start a mutual, uh, mutually beneficial relationship as partners here. Uh, and Bob's like, okay, cool. What, what do you look? I'm looking to invest into short-term rentals. All right. So before we get started, Bill, let me sit down, have a seat. Let me, can I get your email? Address? I can send you exactly what we're going to need. I said, Bob, here you go. And then I can just hand this to Bob and say, Bob, I've got everything you need right here. Really? How do you know what I need? I said, I've got two years tax returns, both business and personal. I've got a cash liquidity statement from my bank in Nashville, Tennessee. I've got a contract for the property that I want to purchase. I've got three performance for you, good, better, best. And the better is based on the historicals over the last three years of my portfolio that I own across the country. I've also pulled AirDNA, the 50th, 75th, and 90th percentile for you. I'm sure you're familiar with AirDNA, right? And you can see how my performance outperform, how my performance outperform or my properties outperform. So I've got a spreadsheet with a list of my properties and the three years of gross revenue and net income with cash on cash return over the last three years to supplement. Oh, by the way, I've got my personal financial statement as well. Got the contract for the property. If there's anything else you need, I can access it immediately uh, on Google Drive in most cases. And then Bob's like, wow, I've never had anybody come in and give me something like this. Usually we have to email them and tell them specifically what we want. Well, you know, Bob, it's not my first rodeo. You know, I've bought and sold, you know, over 50 pieces of real estate uh, in the last eight years. I've been doing real estate investing since I was 19 years old. My first duplex back in Bakersfield, California. Uh, so I know what you're going to ask. I, I know how bankable I am. I know roughly what my credit score is. I know what my DTI is. Uh, I know how good I am at real estate investing. And I kind of, that confidence and that preparedness is really critical because Bob is really a linchpin. Bob is key for the underwriting process and be, being able to purchase that property. So when Bob sees that we are so confident, we're so well prepared, that's the big thing. Um, from an underwriting perspective, Bob's going to walk into that Tuesday night meeting after the bank closes the following Tuesday and say, hey, you guys will not believe this. I had this guy come in and he literally had tax returns, you know, and like right now, I'm, you're, you're going to see this before tax day on 2024. So I, I would have, if I want to buy a property today, I need to have all this stuff in those tax returns from 22 and 23. 24, well, 21, 22, because 23 is not filed. I need to have PLs ready to go. And if I can get them signed or audited by my CPA, that's going to make them even stronger. Right. But hey, you know what? He's got what X amount of dollars on this liquidity letter from his bank. And he's 
got his tax returns. He's got the deal. Look at his portfolio portfolio compared to AirDNA. Bob is becoming your sales rep to the loan committee. Let that sink in for a second. You've just turned Bob into your sales rep from the loan committee. As opposed to the conversation goes, yeah, hey guys, here's the next one on the docket. It's a $600,000 property, um, you know, up on the mountain over there on 123 Main Street. Uh, a guy named Bill Faith, he's from Nashville. I uh, don't know what he has here in this market or why, why he's here, but you, do, you, do you have documentation? Yeah, you know, had to email him four or five times. We're still missing two or three documents because he hasn't been able, he doesn't, he's never put together a personal financial statement, but we're working on it. We send him our template. Uh, hopefully we'll have that before next Tuesday's meeting. What, where's the confidence level with the underwriting committee, right? First scenario or second scenario? No question, first scenario. Made it super easy for them. And they see that I'm prepared. What I call the Kobe Bryanting, you know, your, your package. This is all part of the underwriting process where a lot of you think underwriting is just doing a, an online calculator to see what's the gross revenue and throw in a handful of expenses. There's a reason that the big daddy performa that, you know, John Hodge owns and the only place you can get it from is in my inner circle or in my mastermind, or you can buy that from John. Uh, the big daddy performa has got, I think it's 15 tabs inside of it because the underwriting process is so critical. And really what the underwriting process is there to do is to help mitigate our risk. We can forecast cash flow. We can forecast profit. We can look at tax abatement. We can look at, you know, how much we'll get on a benefit on the cost segregation study. We can do our research and forecast appreciation. We can plug all that data in and it helps us give us a return on investment. It helps us give us an NOI. That's a net operating income. You know, we're able to see how strong this investment is. Essentially, the bank's going to do that on the back end as well. Then they're going to take that DTI calculator and calculate your DTI. Even if they're not counting it against you in a commercial loan, they're still going to want to see it and understand that if the shit hits the fan, that you can pay back that loan. So that's all part of the underwriting process that I re you got to have all that documentation. You need to, you know, put it in a really nice package, tie a bow around it when you deliver it to the banker so you can show him how great you are, how experienced you are, and get him ready to sell for you on that Tuesday night meeting. Number three is marketing. Marketing takes on a lot of forms in our industry, but there's really four core things that I think is super important that I want you to focus on. Number one is listing optimization. Listing optimization, getting your listing to that first page of Airbnb is critical. Image quality, you know, you can't skimp on images. You need to really have the highest quality images. You need to fill out every space inside of your Airbnb verbal listings with, you know, written copy. You know, you need to have really good design interiorly and externally. A lot of lighting, man. I mean, like literally just little LED strips under your cabinets before you get your photos, adding string lights to your outside decks, front porches before you have somebody come and shoot your photos. Lighting makes a huge difference in your marketing and rendering and how that's going to end up working. Uh, when And that's all part of your marketing strategy. One of the things, and I'll give you this pro tip, when I set foot on a property, I give myself literally 90 seconds to two minutes. And as I walk through the main part of the house, I, I pull into the driveway, I'm already looking, I'm already analyzing. Well, once I walk inside, I'm looking at views, I'm looking at proximity, I'm looking at, you know, what's the canvas outside? Is there, you know, built-in natural amenities? Is there water? Are you at a lake, a river? you know, waterfalls, whatever that is. I'm looking within the first 90 seconds to two minutes of how I'm going to market this property. And I'm literally trying to build a marketing plan. Like what's my first image going to be? 
What images are going in the top five on my Airbnb listing? What am I going to tell? What part of the story am I going to tell my guests first? You know, when I'm writing out the description or building content for my direct booking page or writing a Facebook ad or whatever that is. So I'm thinking about that. And if I can't find that hook, if I can't find that anchor, you know, to set myself up on, on the first 90 seconds to two minutes, then I'm most likely going to pass on that property. So people that I've used multiple times, um, like Lauren Taylor in Montana, uh, Tyler Kuhn in you know, Western North Carolina, Cindy Myricks down at Smith Lake is my agents, you know, Deb Wood, I bought tons of properties with her down in the Gulf Shores, Fort Morgan market over the years. They know within three to five minutes if I'm buying the property or not, because I'm, and I'm not rushing to make a decision, but if I can't see the marketing opportunity, then I'm not going to buy it because that's going to transcend from Airbnb and Verbo, TripAdvisor, Booking.com. It's going to go to my direct booking sales pages, websites that I'm going to build. It's going to be in my email marketing. It's going to be in my buy, sell trade groups. It's going to be in my Facebook ads. It's, it's going to go everywhere. And if I can't hang my hat, if I don't have that, then I'm going to have to pass. And one of the things I want to take a step back a second and unpack why your listing optimization is so important. It's not just, you know, to get up to, to from an ego standpoint or a vanity standpoint, it earns the right for you to charge more. So if I'm on, if I'm in the top five rankings on page one consistently, I can charge more than you if you're on the top of page two or if you're on page three. And honestly, even if you're on page one, but you're below me. So that's what I look at is that it gains me the right to increase my ADR. I can go add all the amenities in the world. I can add, I'm renovating a, a lake house right now and I'm putting in two hot tubs. I'm putting in two game rooms. Um, I'm turning a seven, six into a 13, nine finishing out a basement, doing all the outdoor stuff. We're adding a fire pit. We're putting a gazebo for outdoor dining. The two hot tubs that we talked about, we'll have all the other games and stuff like that too. But it doesn't do me any good if I stay at the bottom of page one or on page two. Look, Airbnbs, short-term rentals go to die on page two and three and four. You've got to be on page one. So you really need to understand how to do listing optimization. And for me, a lot of that, just the example I can give you, my Banner Elk property, my Big Elk Lodge, it was doing great. It was my number two property in my portfolio, but now it's moving towards number one to overtake Dragonfly, all because I upgraded my photos. I didn't change pricing. I didn't really change decor. I think Bria added one mural and some one painted wall that we hadn't done previously before Andrew Keller came and shot. Now, literally, because of how high quality those images are, because of, you know, the sunrise and the sunset photos we didn't have before, because we did add some string lights around, you know, the exterior of the, of the property, both on the porches on the back and on the front. It just rendered way differently, way better, you know, in photos. And I literally am seeing my occupancy, you know, increase and my ADR has gone up as well, probably to the tune of about 21%, which is absolutely insane. Uh, with small tweaks, small upgrades, but great marketing that's happening. So we talked about buy, sell trade groups, target your top five cities that people are traveling, traveling to your market from and go join 10 to 15 groups in each one of those cities and then rotate posting like once a week into that. By the time you get done, you come back around, you're five weeks later, you're into a different month. Uh, when you get back from city number five and you're ready to go back to city number one again, just make sure you read the group rules. A lot of people, some groups don't allow posting vacation rentals or short-term rentals in some do. So just don't break the rules because usually the owners of, of these groups own multiples of these groups in the city that you're going to be targeting. You don't want to piss them off. 
Um, last but definitely not least, this is the number one differentiator, really number three and number four. If you're really good at marketing, you're really good at revenue management, you have a distinct competitive advantage over your competitors. And revenue management is critical. Revenue management is how you take advantage when you've got to page number one, right? So revenue management is not just about charging the highest prices. This is about leveraging cancellation policy strength. This is about leveraging your average lead time, far out pricing versus last minute pricing. So one of the big tips that I'll give you in revenue management, most of you do not adjust your far out pricing. So if your average lead time is like 80 days of lead time, then 100 and above Let's say that you have a, a two-night minimum during the week and a three-night minimum on the weekends, and you know you charge $200 a night. Well, that's where I go to four nights on the weekends and three nights during the week, and I'm charging $350 a night outside of 120 days or 130 days, right? So then that kind of comes down back to normal once I get closer to that lead time and adjust the pricing about having gap dates set up. You know, don't be afraid to take one night bookings. I literally just took two one night bookings of my large Banner Elk property. I had gaps. I had, and literally it was Friday and Saturday night. I had those open. I went and they were on two night minimums to try to sell both of them. So before I sent the communication via email out to my guests, I literally went and raised the price by 37% on both nights and moved the minimums from two night to one night. Manual process to get this done because that almost never happens on a weekend during ski season. So I'll get more by renting one night. Sure. Are people going to spend dollars $2,000 a night for a property like that? Absolutely. They just did. Or else those dates would have probably ended up sitting there. And if I would have booked both nights, I would have made less money than breaking them out to two individual one nights. Those are all part of revenue management strategies. But one of the biggest things that you have to do when you're looking at revenue management is you have to be completely self-aware about how strong your property is. A lot of us fall in love with our properties. We tell stories about our properties and they're really not as good as we think they are. That's why you got to make financially driven decisions. Look at the numbers, look at the demand. And if you really have a super property, then you can let her rip. If you don't, then you need to be competitive. The other back end of this is in the downtime. Like all my beach properties are in downtime right now. So even though I can charge up to $4,500 a night for my largest beach property, you know, that thing's literally under 500 bucks right now from Sunday through Wednesday. So I can get some volume. I can increase occupancy and not lose those dates. Any date lost, we can never repair. We can never replace. Sorry. Didn't have the same strategy during COVID. And a lot of people have questioned, well, Bill, you've changed your strategy. You said you would never discount. I'm not discounting. I'm lowering pricing. I will never discount to somebody that asked me for a discount. And anything with, you know, guests at short-term rentals with you, anybody else, a lot of people come in, hey, you know, I've even had a member of my mastermind. It's like 15 grand. Hey, I think it's for me, it's probably only worth about 7,000. Can I just pay 7,000 to stay in? Cause I don't take advantage of everything. No, you can't. I love you. But, uh, you know, I have somebody else waiting in line that will pay the 15 K. So it's the same thing with my guests. You know, I don't discount when they ask, but I do lower and fluctuate pricing. So I'm really trying to maximize occupancy Sunday through Wednesday in the off peak time. So like in the shoulder season and in the down season, that's where people make money. Anybody can just continue to raise their pricing if they have a high demand property during the peak time. You know, at the beach, that's summertime. Uh, from skiing, that's literally like Christmas, you know, through the end of March or April, depending on where you're at, right? So you got to optimize occupancy as much as you're op occupying, as much as you are optimizing ADR. The other thing is really managing your expenses because there's a big difference between gross revenue 
and net income. So I'm, I'm a huge believer in, and you guys know me well enough. I run everything like a business as we talked about at the beginning of this cast. And I am actually going in and I'm really focusing on my net revenue more than I am my gross revenue. So you don't really hear me talk about outside of these educational, you know, casts that I do to where we're talking about, you know, gross revenue and that type of stuff. For me, it's really all about net income. So I'm about reducing expenses, about keeping things operationally more streamlined, right? To where I don't have this dead weight that most businesses end up acquiring. So anyways, to recap, Treat your, treat your short-term rentals, everyone individually, like a business. That's all a mindset thing. Number two is going to be your, really number one is going to be your marketing market selection. And that goes into sub-markets and then property uh, counts. And always focus on location and proximity. Location, proximity, views. You can't build those. You can't replace them. But if you buy something without those three and then try to out-amenity everybody, you try to out-mural everybody, you try to out-theme everybody, those people can always come back and level up and catch up to you. Number two is underwriting. Be super diligent in this. And one thing I would ask myself if I own properties, I'd be doing a cash on equity audit and I'd be asking myself, would I make the same investment today? And if you wouldn't, or your cash on equity audit shows that your cash flow will not stack on top of each other, it's going to take longer than four to five years to be able to get to your equity, sell the property and redeploy the equity. That's all what I look at in the underwriting process because I look at underwriting on when I'm purchasing and then I underwrite every quarter to see what the true value of my property is. Number three, marketing. Buy, sell, trade groups, email marketing, Facebook ads, organic social media. Those are really the four things uh, that I want you to focus on um, and get really good at Facebook ads. Chris and I just did a marketing Monday today. I don't even know what the date is today. It's like February 25th or 26th or something like that. But you can go back in and look at that. Uh, marketing Mondays, Chris did a really good job about you know retargeting and all that type of stuff. And then revenue management. Market, market selection, underwriting, marketing, revenue management. Nail those four things and you can go from being average to good and good to great as a short-term rental investor. Thanks for joining me on this episode. I'll see you guys next time. The STR Unfiltered podcast is brought to you by Market My STR, the ultimate all-in-one marketing platform for short-term rental hosts. Are you tired of juggling multiple marketing tools? Say goodbye to the hassle and make your life as a host a breeze with Market My STR. Boost your booking rates and increase your revenue in no time with our powerful features. Our platform streamlines your marketing efforts so you can focus on what you do best, providing unforgettable guest experiences. Whether you're a newcomer or a seasoned host, Markham ASTR has got you covered. Stay connected with your guests using our comprehensive set of communication tools. From custom landing pages to text messages, email marketing, and social media integration, we provide all the tools you need to elevate your short-term rental business. Streamline your operations, enhance your guest experience today. Don't settle for less so we can have it all. Make the switch to MarketMySTR's all-in-one marketing platform and watch your business soar. Visit MarketMySTR.com today to sign up for your free trial. That's MarketMySTR.com. Elevate your short-term rental business with MarketMySTR. Thank you for listening to STR Unfiltered, where we give you actionable episodes without the bullshit.